Previously, on Bullets and Rust. My meeting with Aratu Shimiuro provided few answers, but more than ever, it made me suspicious of Abner's colleague and rival, Lucy Televerger. Later, back at the agency, my new receptionist started in earnest. Another meeting with Petra, the O'Malley's housekeeper, yielded some surprising information. Kindle's a lot colder towards her son than she lets on, and she's got a masochistic streak in the bedroom which accounts for a lot of the bruises that Mercy believed came from an abusive husband. This relationship keeps getting more complicated by the hour, and I'm still no closer to locating Liam. I also received a visit from Mafia tough Quentin Gilletti. I can't say I'm a fan of getting the shit beat out of me, but the aggressive pushback means that my investigation to Spencer against death is ruffling feathers. That's good for clues, but it's not so good for my lifespan. Finally, I decided to see Blake West, to see if there was anything he could do to help me fill in some missing pieces of information. That's when I came face to face with Lieutenant Stanley Powers, the asshole who cost me my badge. What else is gonna go wrong?
I'm not looking for trouble. I was talking to Stanley Powers, the police lieutenant who had kicked me off the force because I wasn't willing to look the other way when one mobster killed another. Now, a decade later, his temperament had not improved. Is that so? Because you showing up here, that sure seems like causing trouble. There were two ways I could play this. The smart move was to act meek, shaken, to let Powers think that he had the upper hand. Doing that would wound my pride, but not much else. Or, I could act like a belligerent jerk. It's funny, I've been an investigator for almost ten years now, and in all that time, I haven't needed to come back here for help. I mean, most of the police in the city are pretty useless, but you've actually made it into district policy. Powers' face curdled. I had trouble containing my glee. What the hell do you want, Adams? There were a hundred things that crossed my mind. A vacation, a villa in Paris, a decent retirement fund. Or maybe I ought to ask for a police department that's not on the dole to a bunch of petty thugs. But any of those answers would only inflame things, and I was dangerously close to crossing the line already. And in truth, while I knew that Blake and Somerset were working with O'Malley to keep this whole affair quiet, I had no idea of knowing if Powers was in the loop. It was better not to risk it. That's when I decided that the best answer I could offer him was the truth. More than anything, I'd like to get the fuck out of here. What'd you say? You heard me, Stanley. I don't answer to you anymore. With that, I walked around him and headed towards the door. He'd always hated it when people called him by his first name. I think he got an erection every time someone said his rank. That's Lieutenant Powers to you, Adams. He shifted his body to move between me and the door. As he spoke, his onion breath wafted over my face. What would happen to your little agency if we had an anonymous tip about you? That you'd been up to some squirrely shit? I'd sue your ass into the Stone Age. Oh, big man, gonna sue me. What about right here? Maybe I've got probable cause to search you and your piece of shit car. Maybe I'll find something interesting. In truth, he'd find an unregistered handgun, more than enough to cause me trouble. But I wasn't about to let on that I was afraid. Besides, I'd been shot at, beat up, and my life had been threatened by both the Lima Colies and the Trovolones. Compared to that, Powers was small potatoes. Sorry, Stanley. You're gonna have to find someone else to kick around. It's Lieutenant Powers. And you better remember what town you're in, Adams, and where private dicks fall on the pecking order. You're right. I forgot how much glee you get making a mockery of actual law and order. You really were a sorry excuse for an officer, you know that? We didn't even miss you when you were gone. I never did fit in here, did I? I guess the recruitment office forgot the police are meant to lock up violent thugs, not give them a badge and a uniform. Powers was getting angrier with each passing second, and it's possible that I'd pushed things too far. I realized that it was time for me to get the hell out of there. Anyway, I was looking for one of your lapdogs. Why don't you send him to fetch me when he comes in here begging for scraps? Don't presume to order me around. And anyway, you're the one crawling out of here with your tail between your legs. Go fuck yourself, Stanley. I pushed the door open and stepped outside. Behind me, he yelled. That's Lieutenant Powers, Adams. You'd better remember that. Christ. No good deed goes unpunished, does it? Here I was, working my ass off to find this kid, a move that could only help the department. If the news broke, O'Malley would be off the case, 
The news media would start asking uncomfortable questions about department conduct, and the trial would almost certainly be moved to another venue. In that case, the two cops involved would probably be screwed. And yet, here was Lieutenant Asshole threatening me. At that point, my blood was boiling. I'd tried to play it off like I was beyond it all, but the truth was, seeing powers again had opened up an old wound. I turned the ignition and peeled out of the parking lot. If I wanted, I could blow this whole case up. All it would take is an anonymous tip to Channel 5 News. I could see it already, Danita Harris looking into the camera saying, Troubling news in the case of Liam O'Malley. But doing that would get that kid killed. As much as I hated those bastards, his life was more important than my vendetta. Knowing that fact, that's what separated me from them. I shook my head and pulled out my cell phone. I dialed my agency's number. My old office manager and receptionist, Linda, had quit last Friday. Just this morning I'd hired a new girl, Sam. Her first assignment was to go to City Hall to get me some records. Now it was time to learn what she'd been able to find. Adams Investigations. It's me. There was a short pause. I'm sorry, who? Are you kidding? Sorry, sir, this is my first day. Is there something I can do for you? It's me, Zeke. Another pause. Oh shit, sorry. I, I, you, uh, I'm sorry. Thinking back, it's actually kind of funny, but at the time I wasn't exactly in a laughing mood. I'm really sorry. You sound different on the phone. It's fine, don't worry about it. What did you get on Kindle? I heard her take a slow breath. What the hell was the delay now? I know this is going to sound weird, but you really sound different over the phone. Maybe this should wait until you get back in. That way I know I'm not sharing anything I shouldn't be able to over the- Okay, listen. Do you remember my cell phone number? Yeah, but it's not listed on the caller ID. It says unlisted. I knew that already. Anytime I dial a number, I always add star 67 to the beginning. That way, my name never shows up on a caller ID. You never know who might see the call history down the line. Listen, Sam, I'm going to hang up. Call my cell phone and tell me what you've learned about Kindle O'Malley, okay? Sure. With that, I tapped the disconnect button. For several seconds, there was only the sound of the car. Then, my phone rang through the Bluetooth sound system. Okay, give it to me. You know, this really doesn't prove anything. You could have just stolen Mr. Adams' phone. Or cloned his SIM card. I mean, she wasn't wrong, actually. I wanted to be angry, but she wasn't wrong. Fine. I'll be there in five minutes. Have it ready for me. Sure thing, boss. For such a suspicious person, she had a strangely cheery disposition. Who the hell had I hired? It took closer to ten minutes for me to reach the agency. I practically ran up the stairs, and when I stepped inside, I found Sam sitting casually behind the desk. She'd arranged things already, moving the computer tower to under the desk and neatly arranging the wires into a single thread. Hey boss, did you just try to- What did you find on Kindle? On Kindle O'Malley? Not much. But for Kindle Malone? Whoa. Sam opened the top drawer and retrieved a folder. However, this wasn't the usual bland manila. It was a bright blue instead. She changed her name away from Kindle Malone when she was 20. For the eight years between that and when she married Killian, she went by Kindle Williams. I can't tell you why she chose Williams, but looks like she was trying to distance herself from her past. 
be careful about jumping to conclusions. Sometimes it's easy to read too much into what you've found. Got it. But you might want to take a look for yourself. She tapped the folder with her finger. Most of the records from before she turned 18 are sealed, but it wasn't hard to figure out where she went for school. I called and I found out where her old house used to be. When I put the address into the Nexus search. Her old school gave out her address? That was unusual. Schools are notoriously hesitant to give out personal information over the phone. Even decades later, you often have to give them a litany of paperwork. Sometimes it even requires a court order. Yeah, I told him I was from the alumni organization. Her 20-year reunion will be next year, and I said I was trying to get pictures of people's old houses to put up by the name tags. When I talked to them how we couldn't get a hold of Kindle's address, they were very helpful. Who the hell was this girl? I was suddenly very glad that she'd seen my ad. That's good work. What did you find? Her name wasn't linked, but a girl the same age was taken from the house of the family that adopted her back in 1998. She spent a year in and out of mental hospitals across the state. Really? Reaching forward, I took the open folder in my hand. An old Plain Dealer article had a picture of a house in black and white. The headline read, Teen Girl Attacks Family with Knife. No names were given, but the unnamed teen was the same age that Kindle would have been. Once I had that, it was easier to find other things. Like the fact that Kendall Williams was convicted of assault in 2002, and that part of her defense was that her violent mood swings were a part of her medical condition. She spent three months in jail. Later on, I looked at the mugshot that was connected to the address. Sure enough, it was Kendall O'Malley. Younger, angrier, bearing an unhealthy pallor, but it was definitely her. The arrest records came from Pittsburgh. She changed her name right after she got out of jail. Her probation ended a year later, and once that happened, she moved back in with her sister. Damn. Oh, there's more. More? I noticed that one of the databases you have has access to 911 calls? Yeah. So I went back to significant dates in the case. The night Liam went missing, the day she moved back in with Killian, I didn't have to look very far for the O'Malley's address to pop up. You're kidding. Why the hell didn't Blake tell me that? I don't know who Blake is, but he probably didn't know. It didn't happen in the city. It was at their house in Bay Village. What happened? Domestic disturbance. An unnamed man called the hotline said his wife had attacked him with a knife. Said he walked in and she seemed fine. An hour later, she lunged at him. He left the house right away and called from across the street. Holy shit. The thing is, no reports came up in the database because no charges were ever filed. I don't have anything besides the 911 call, so I can't tell you what happened next. But I do have the name of the officer that answered the call. Do you now? Officer Karen Parker. Sam, that is some truly excellent work. Thanks, boss. I was about to walk away, but there was still one thing we needed to discuss. Listen, Sam. If I call you again... We need a safe word. What? A safe word. It's what you use... I know what a safe word is. We need to have a word that wouldn't come up otherwise. That way we know it's okay. You got anything in mind? Nebuchadnezzar. What the hell is a Nebuchadnezzar? Nebuchadnezzar. He was the emperor of the Babylonian Empire and conquered half of the Middle East. Huh. Ever heard of the Hanging Gardens of Babylon? Those were his. He also destroyed Solomon's temple. Okay, great. Him. Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar, it's not that hard. And if you're under duress, you should use something else, a word to signal that you need help. Mission accomplished. Not until we have... No, mission accomplished. That's the other phrase. Oh, yeah, sure. Mission accomplished. I guess that works, but it's kind of strange. Stranger than Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, he's not that weird. He's in the Bible. I thought a guy named Ezekiel would be all into that. There's a reason I go by Zeke. You don't like your name? Are you crazy? It's great. Yeah, not for me. She looked at me like I was crazy. Listen, your name's Sam. You don't know what it's like being the kid with the funny name. You shouldn't let stupid kids ruin your own name for you. Ezekiel's a badass name. He was a prophet. Right, well, there's not many people that call me that. Just one, really, and he was raised Jewish, so he's got an excuse. You just met me. For all you know, I could be Jewish. You're not a Scientologist, are you? No. Good. I dated a Scientologist once. Second biggest mistake I've ever made, and we're using Mission Accomplished. Why are you so sold on that? Because it reminds me that even violent pricks get overconfident. She furrowed her brow, which made me wonder if she was too young to know the reference. Christ, am I really that old? This wasn't the time to worry about things like that. I had things to do. These cases were dangling overhead, a modern-day sword of Damocles. At any moment, the string was going to snap. Heading out, I checked my private drop box. Inside, I found an overstuffed manila envelope. I hastily tore it open, revealing a thick rim of financial records. It was the stuff I'd asked Justine to get for me. Shoving the envelope inside my jacket, I stepped out into the street. I made it halfway to my car before I realized that someone was coming up behind me. I jammed my hand into my jacket pocket. As my fingers wrapped around my Walther, I spun sharply on my heels. Jesus, Zeke, it's me! Less than six feet away, Blake West lifted his hands into the air. Don't you know it's dangerous to sneak up on people? Clearly. Listen, I heard that you came by the station. Don't worry. I won't make that mistake again. You've got to be careful, Zeke. There's only a handful of people who know what's going on, and it needs to stay that way. You understand? Sure. My neck's on the line in this fucking thing. Not to mention the kid's life. If he's still alive. The tone of Blake's voice revealed a notable lack of confidence. But until we had a body, I was operating on the assumption that we still had a chance. A chance to save Liam's life. Listen. I've learned a lot since the last time we spoke. It's mostly dead ends, but a couple of promising leads, too. Blake turned his head to make sure that there was no one within earshot. Listen, Killian's been assembling a file on Angelo Lee Macaulay. I think the family knows. That adds a hell of a motive. Blake nodded his head appreciatively. It certainly does. And Kindle O'Malley? She doesn't have quite the airtight alibi that you think she does. Blake's eyes narrowed, and his scowl grew more severe. What the hell does that mean? I'm still working on it, but neither one of them has an alibi that would stand up under scrutiny. His might even be a little bit better. So where was Kendall? A hotel. God damn it. Listen, I need access to certain files, Kindles especially. One's from before she turned 18. That long ago? What are you looking for, Zeke? A history of mental illness. A lot of those records will be sealed. I thought Somerset had his thumb in this. 
When is anything as pesky as the law ever gotten in his way? Nothing from it would be admissible in court. He might have to call in some heavy favors for that kind of thing. What's the use of being in bed with a corrupt police commander if you won't use him to dig up the dirt you need? Fair enough. You might also talk to people in the 3rd District about any funny activity. Strange movement around safe houses, unusual chatter from informants, that sort of thing. Of course, you'll have to be careful. Don't ask anyone on the family's payroll. I can ask around, but I doubt I'll get very far. There's still people taking cash from the Trova loans. If they're behind it, there's going to be a strong desire to sweep it under the rug. Well, if that's the case, at least we'll know who's behind all of this. We might even solve this thing. Even still, the district wouldn't have most of that stuff. Then who would? You miss the changing of the guard. Almost everything about the Limicoles goes right back to the feds these days. We only handle the street-level stuff. Distribution, petty thuggery. I don't suppose you have any friends in the FBI? He probably won't be able to tell me much without cluing him into what we're looking for. They're paranoid about leaks, afraid the families who use the local 5-0 to get intel. And do you trust this guy? With my life. Then ask him. All right, anything else? Yeah, but, um, it's, it's not about this case. Zeke, I'm not sure what else I can do. This is bringing enough unwanted attention onto me as it is, and your little stunt at the precinct didn't help. Then answer your phone when I call you. Anyway, I'm looking into a shooting that happened last week. A guy named Spencer Ghent. The Limicoli thug? What about him? It's complicated. But if you could pull whatever you guys have, ballistics, witnesses, anything. That's asking a lot, Zeke. So are you. Because of you, I've been threatened by both families. Just get it done. I'm smart enough not to dig around that kind of thing unless it's important. Trust me, it's important. Lives are at stake. Okay. I'll see what I can do. Yeah, thanks. Now, unless there's something else, I've got places I need to go and questions just begging to be answered. Questions about what? Another person's mistakes. Making direct contact with someone that you're investigating is a perilous thing. However, the shortest distance between any two points is a straight line. And besides, if Lucy Televerger was the one who was blackmailing Abner, it was doubtful that she'd be all that surprised. Of course, people like Lucy make a conscious effort to be as difficult to contact as possible. Most likely, she had an impermeable barrier of assistance and alternate emails, all to keep people like me at a distance. But people like her always have a private number, and I knew someone who was certain to have it. I dialed Abner's office. Within seconds, his assistant Riley answered the call. Mr. Forrest's office, how may I help you? Hey, it's Zeke Adams. You shouldn't be calling here. I was already there this morning. You were here? When? I've been here all day. I wasn't visiting Abner. Who are you? Don't worry about it. I just need Lucy Televerge's personal phone number. For what? What do you think? And be careful what you say out loud. You never know who might be listening in. Her private number? Do you know the kind of trouble I could get in for sharing that? Like I'm going to tell her where I got it from. If you're asking about Mr. Forrest, you probably won't have to. Listen, Riley, I've handled a lot of blackmail cases, all right? I know what I'm doing. The woman's a viper. She sees right through bullshit. This isn't a good idea. Look, you can either give me the number or you can transfer me to Abner. When he asks you for it, I doubt it'll come as a request. 
I don't think you should contact her. What if she's the one doing the blackmail? That's exactly what I intend to find out. I really don't think... Do you want to explain to your boss why you're hindering this investigation? I'd prefer to keep him out of this. But if you insist... The threat hung in the air. Riley was silent for a moment as she weighed her options. Then, finally, she came to her senses. I had the feeling that Abner's temper and his noted lack of patience were doing a lot of the heavy lifting for me. Fine. It's 440-777-3421. Happy? Not really. With that, I hung up on Riley and dialed Lucy's number. Within a few seconds, there was a new voice in my ear. Who is this? Zeke Adams. How'd you get this number, Zeke Adams? Let's say that we have a mutual friend. My friends don't give out my private number. They might, when they're trying to help you. She scoffed audibly, but remained silent. I knew that I only had this one chance to persuade her to meet up with me, so I went straight to business. Ms. Talaverger, I'm an independent investigator. I'm working on a case that directly involves you. For your protection, I'd like to have a conversation face-to-face, away from the office. You think I'm going to meet in private with someone I don't know who called my number out of the blue? I thought I could buy you lunch. I'm sure you did. Pick somewhere public, somewhere you like. It doesn't matter how much it costs. I'm going to hang up now, Mr. Adams. Don't call me again. For someone in your position, Ms. Talaverger, you certainly have a lot of endurance. She said nothing. However, she also didn't hang up. The next thing out of my mouth needed to be good. I wasn't going to have another shot at this. I spoke with Mr. Shimiyuro this morning. He's very concerned about the future of his company. Did you know he's had you followed? I know he's had a detective following me, Mr. Adams, and I also know that it isn't you. Nice try. I never said it was me, but I am positioned to help you. Shimiyuro doesn't have much time for anything but the IPO right now, but he's taking note of his people and who he thinks has a future at his company. Cooperating with me? That might go a long way to shoring up your position. So what are you investigating? I'd like to discuss that over lunch. That, and what future you envision for yourself at Syncorp. Are you trying to blackmail me, Mr. Adams? <laughs> that almost made me laugh out loud. Somehow, I managed to restrain myself. Quite the opposite, I promise you that. All right, meet me at Lola, tomorrow, at noon. You're buying, and this better be good. I'll see you tomorrow, Ms. Televerger. Don't be late. Arriving back at the office, I noted a dark sedan parked across the street. I'd recognize it almost anywhere. I crossed Lorraine Avenue and approached the passenger window. Inside, Detective Katie Stroh was sitting behind the wheel. It's after six, Zeke. You working late? You know me. I'm always on to something. Yeah, well, you better watch yourself. You know what happens if you burn the candle at both ends for too long. Do I? Katie smiled. It was good to see her. She was the only cop in the entire Cleveland Police Department I could still trust, and one of the only ones left who would give me the time of day. Is this a social call, Katie? We could walk down to Market Garden, get a beer, a bite to eat? I wish. There's some bullshit I gotta get to in old Brooklyn, but I wanted to give you this. Last week I'd given her an envelope, one used to deliver an incriminating picture to Abner's office. 
Katie had agreed to run it for prints and DNA. Now she was giving it back. Any prints? Yeah, we found five different prints, including a thumb and a forefinger, but they're not in the computer. Damn it. Though it wasn't likely, I'd held out hope that this might help me crack the case. Any DNA? Negative. Okay, well, it was worth a try. Thanks for bringing these by. No problem. I heard about your visit to the station. Figured you probably didn't want to show up around there again. Yeah. Well, I gotta go, Zeke. I'll see you later, alright? You take care of yourself. Katie nodded before driving off down the street, whipping around the corner at a breakneck speed. Once she was gone, I crossed back over to the north side of the street, walking up the stairs to my agency. I checked the drop box on the way, but it was empty again. Today's deposit was probably the best I was going to get. The door was locked, the lights off. Slipping inside, I made my way to the bathroom where I used the mirror to give myself a once-over. I looked like a mess. There were bruises on my face where Quentin had punched me. I had a couple of cuts, too, but at least those weren't bleeding anymore. I washed under my armpits and changed into a nicer shirt. Then, I spent the next couple hours filing the documents Justine left me earlier in the day. By the time I arrived at the Ugly Broad, Mercy was sitting at a table in the back. On my way over, I ordered myself a drink. She grinned when I settled into the chair. If she was bothered by my obvious injuries, she didn't show it. Good evening, Mr. Adams. Ms. Malone. Reaching into my pocket, I grabbed her cigarettes. I slid them across the table with a jerk of my wrist. Mercy opened the pack immediately. The flame from her silver lighter briefly drenched her face in a soft orange glow, one that suited her well. Of course, it's illegal to smoke in bars in the state of Ohio, but around us, no one seemed to care. Half the time I came in here, the bartender was hiding a smoke in a hidden ashtray underneath the bar. You look like you've had a rough day. More like a rough week. Do you want to talk about it? Not really. I just made a stupid mistake. I hope these mistakes don't involve my nephew. No, it's another case entirely. In my line of work, you make certain enemies. It pays to keep one eye over your shoulder. Though, you probably wouldn't know too much about that. Mr. Adams, when I make enemies, I don't leave them in the position to be able to hurt me. So you're still sure that it's Killian? Aren't you? I'd say that it's complicated. Violent men often are, but I've got a simple solution to that. Really? I don't suppose you'd be willing to share it with me. It's a 9 millimeter solution, Mr. Adams, and it's rather final. She must have seen my disapproval. There are some men that won't ever fit into society's boundaries, you know. They're incapable of it, like rabid dogs. And like a dog, you have to put them down. And who chooses who deserves to be put down? The person holding the gun always chooses, to give mercy or deal in death, but the incurably violent. They're the ones that put the innocent in the position of having to make the choice. Them, not us. If you're making that choice, I'd hardly call you innocent. You may not be guilty exactly, but you can't kill someone without it changing you. No one's innocent, Mr. Adams. No one. You look hard enough. We've all got it coming. That's a hard way to live. I wasn't given many options. I could turn hard, or I could let myself be broken. Like your sister? No, I... wait. What? Mercy, I know about her convalescences. My sister struggled. She suffered through a great deal at a young age, things that no one should ever have to. I never said I blamed her. You're calling her weak. I'm calling it what it is, Mercy, a mental break. 
Mercy scowled and turned her eyes down towards the table. What? Did you think this would never come up? That no one would find out? Trust me, you're lucky that I found it first. If this case ends up going to court, it's going to be rough on her. She's going to be asked difficult questions. And the witness stand? That's an unforgiving place. Mercy finished her cigarette, dropping the butt into a half-full glass of water. Do you think it's going to come to that? If it's Killian, then you bet your ass it will. She's the only witness, the only person besides him who can vouch for his whereabouts that night. If this comes down to a he said, she said, his lawyers are going to use that to tear your sister apart. Mercy looked pale. I hadn't thought of that. Well, I have to. I can't afford not to. Sooner or later, I'm going to be asked to share what I've uncovered. If you don't want Kindle placed under the proverbial microscope, then I need a crystal clear picture to paint to the authorities. That means we need to talk about who Kindle is, Mercy, not who you want her to be. That's a cruel way of putting it. I'm not a fan of wasting time. All right, Mr. Adams. Ask away. Let's get this out of the way first. How stable is she? It's been years since she had any trouble. She takes medication, but I couldn't tell you what it is. I've spoken to several people who knew the family. Most of them described her as cold, especially around Liam. Would you say that- That's also cruel. I'm only telling you what I've heard. Any defense attorney trying to make a case for reasonable doubt- I understand. She pulled out another cigarette and lit it with a flick of her wrist. What's true is that Kendall has never been the warmest person. But there's a difference between being even-keeled and being cold. She's learned to keep herself in check. She no longer has her hysterical fits, but that it also makes her affections more subdued. Some might call her hard, but they don't really know her. Kendall feels very deeply, Mr. Adams. That's why I'm so worried about her. She might not show it, but this is tearing her apart. And if she had to leave Killian? I'd hope she'd turn to me. What if she couldn't? Mercy's eyes narrowed. Smoke slid out from between her lips. What does that mean? Things like this can accelerate sometimes, spinning out of control. If that happens, if you're not available, where would she go? Why do you need to know? Because I need to talk to her, and I need her to open up to me more than she has already. If she continues keeping me at arm's length, look, Mercy, I'm trying to help. I want to save your nephew's life, and Kindle's too. Now, if her back was up against a wall, where would she go? Not the condo, I'm sure of that. The house in Bay Village? The house? Hardly. It's not a home. It's another one of Killian's trophies. She wouldn't go there. What about the house you mentioned? The one in Canada? She took a long drag of her cigarette, blowing out the smoke in a long plume. I suppose. It's private. Describe it for me. I don't see why. Because I might need to go there. To get her. Mercy nodded. All right. It's a nicely sized bit of land, two and a half acres. The main house is visible from the road. I sleep in the master bedroom, but Kendall still uses the room she had as a child. There's a guest house in back, but it hasn't been used in some time. Ages. There's a long path in the back that leads to the water. We used to swim in the lake as children and ice fish in the winter. After father, well, after we moved, it was left dormant. I spent a fair amount of money to repair the main house, but it's fairly simple inside. It's not as extravagant as it looks. I nodded along. Now that I've told you that, what have you found out? 
You seemed doubtful that it's Killian. Why? In my head, I thought, because your sister's looking more suspicious by the minute. However, I managed to hold my tongue. I'm running through leads like the Limacolis. They're the ones that gave me this, I said, pointing to my bruises. They don't know what I'm looking into, but they're dangerous. If they're involved in this... I let my voice trail off. Mercy's eyes remained fixed, as if she were trying to read my thoughts by tracing the lines across my face. Listen, Mercy, let me be honest. I hope that Killian's got nothing to do with this, because if he is, well, if he is, there's very little hope that Liam is still alive. That's a very odd way of seeing things. Is it? People don't do things like this to their children, not unless... I just hope that there's somebody outside the family. That's our best chance of getting him home again. What else have you learned? I couldn't help but chuckle at how she said it. It was almost like she was trying to interrogate me. You've got to trust me, Mercy. Trust my experience. This will work its way out eventually, and I'm doing my best to speed that along. In truth, some cases were nothing but a knot of dead ends. There was no guarantee that this would be any different. But the only way to find out if something is a dead end or not is by darting down a lot of blind alleys with your eyes wide open. You have a strangely reassuring way of putting it, Zeke. Eventually it all works out, Mercy. Because it has to turn into something. <laughs> that might mean it all goes to shit. We can only play the cards we're dealt. At that, Mercy nodded in agreement, and our conversation quickly turned to other topics. Every time I tried to ask about Kindle, she found a way to change the subject. After a few beers, I stopped trying. We spent another hour talking about travel. Switzerland seems like a nice place to live. Close to everyone, beholden to none. That's clever. Words to live by. She was keeping me at arm's length now. I wondered if she no longer trusted me. Did she know that I was trying to pump her for information? One thing was certain. Even after four drinks, she still had an eye for detail. Shortly after midnight, I risked a quick glance at my watch. Impatient, are we? Just noting the passing of time. I've got a busy day tomorrow. This whole fucking mess has me exhausted. I just want to think about something else. To feel something else. I'm doing the best I can to bring Liam home. Well, I don't want to talk about it anymore, Mr. Adams. Not tonight. I'm too tired tonight. Okay, then. Was there something else you wanted to talk about? She slid out from her seat. You're responsible for making me feel this way, you know. Asking me all these questions. I'm struggling to distract myself, to maintain my composure. Sorry, I'm just... Don't apologize, Mr. Adams. Fix it. The first time I'd gone home with Mercy, it had been a bad idea. This time, it was a terrible one. But hell, Mercy was beautiful, and I'm not immune to temptation. I could offer a hundred different excuses, but the truth is I simply didn't have the will to resist her. As Mercy stepped out into the night, I had no choice but to follow. It was early in the morning when I left Mercy's apartment. Not as early as the last time, thankfully. It's not every day that I get calls from distraught mafia widows looking for revenge. I felt a tinge of guilt... Mercy didn't realize how closely I was looking at her sister. I comforted myself by remembering that none of this had been my idea. I drove home as quickly as I could. There were a hundred different thoughts running through my head. So many thoughts, it turns out, 
that I was stupid and careless. I walked in on a couple of thugs standing in the middle of my living room. Unlike Quentin, these goons wore nicely tailored suits. Ah, oh, fuck. I turned to run, but the door slammed shut behind me. And who had his hand on the handle but Aristotle Rigoletti? It was the first time we'd actually met, but I knew Aristotle by reputation. He was an enforcer for the Trovolone crime family. More than a few people suspected that the family's rise in stature over the last decade was primarily due to Aristotle guiding the syndicate's fortunes. In other words, he was just about the last person I wanted to see. Hey guys, I mumbled. Just go easy on the face, alright? I just got my ass kicked yesterday. Aristotle sneered. Just getting in? Yeah, had a long night. Lucky you. It's not the word I'd choose, I said. My eyes turned to Aristotle's pair of goons. Why don't we go talk about this in the car? What car is that? The car we're going to go in. The truth was, if Aristotle wanted me dead, there wasn't much I could do about it anymore. It was better not to make a fuss and hope that they didn't pat me down. I still had my pistol in my jacket pocket. That might end up being my only way out of this. This doesn't have to get messy, Adams. For who? You or me? That will be entirely up to you. I didn't like the sound of that. We walked outside. A black Cadillac had pulled up into the middle of the street. There was a slender woman behind the wheel, but she remained silent as we climbed into the back. Aristotle's goons sat on either side of me. Aristotle faced me. He tapped the glass, separating us from the driver. Let's go. A minute later, we were on our way downtown. Once upon a time, all of the mob families were run out of Little Italy. The Limacolis still were. Did that make them venerable keepers of the old way, or were they hopeless dinosaurs on the verge of extinction? Sometime in the late 90s, the Trovolones had moved off of Mayfield Road. These days, the family was run from two locations, a small warehouse on East 30th and a sporting venue that had a racetrack and slot machines right off the highway. They call it a racino. Today, I was being taken to the facility downtown. As we pulled up outside, the driver rolled down the window. They said you ought to bring him straight up. He doesn't want him softened up first? They said straight up. I wouldn't mess around with it. He sounded pissed. <sighs> Aristotle sighed, looking almost disappointed. But he nodded at the two goons and they opened the door to let me out. The warehouse was three stories tall, with a brick exterior and large windows which gave the building an almost religious stature. It felt ominous as I was escorted inside. There were groups of guys huddled around equipment on the ground floor. Cars, guns, an assortment of other tools. Aristotle led me up a flight of stairs. At the top, a small office overlooked the whole interior. Inside, I found myself face to face with Michael Trovolone. Sylvester's oldest son and heir apparent to the family business. Michael was slightly younger than I was, in his late thirties. Chubbier than his old man, he wore a thick black beard that stood out in this profession. Most mobsters are clean-shaven, and those who aren't tended towards finely trimmed mustaches. But Michael had his own style. Like usual, he was decked out in a royal blue suit that barely straddled the line of what could be called good taste. I'd met him once before, back when I was a cop. It was not an experience I sought to have again. Sit down. He spoke with a casual firmness. 
I was hardly eager to antagonize the most powerful mobster in the city, so I did as he asked. I've got my pride, but I'm also not an idiot. I've got my pride, but despite Quentin's objections, I'm not an idiot. Michael was also, inadvertently, the man most responsible for my quitting the police. Everyone knew that he'd been the trigger man on the head of Brady Francone. I just hadn't been given the resources to prove it. You know, Ezekiel, you've got quite the reputation around town. You leave the police in disgrace, a man too principled for his own good and too flawed to live up to his own standards. Most of us never gave you a second thought, but it turns out you've actually made quite a niche for yourself. How does one take a compliment from a man like Michael Trovalone? If you want to live, you nod, smile, and you keep your mouth shut. I always assumed that you had to be real smart. A guy like you making his own way in this town as everything turns upside down? It's not like the old days, is it? Everything's gotten more complicated. Michael paused, waiting to see how I'd respond. When I said nothing, he shrugged and continued to talk. It was based on the assumption that you'd have the good sense to know when to stop. You'll have to be more specific. Apparently I've pissed off everyone this week. It's getting hard to keep track. Cute. He smirked, and my blood ran cold. After your recent car troubles, some people might decide to take some time off from work to let their cases, well, to make them go away. Well, a smart man knows when to slow down if he doesn't want to get himself hurt. Just because I'm smart doesn't mean I'm not stubborn. Michael reached forward and grabbed a pen from his desk. He shuffled it in his hand, tapping it against the hardwood surface. Listen, Ezekiel, I respect a man like you. On your own, you don't have a family or a department backing you, protecting you. It takes a lot more guts to stand in the dark alleys by yourself than it does to march forward with a badge pinned to your chest. But a smart man knows when he's reached the edge of a cliff and shouldn't take another step. Unfortunately, the edge isn't always clear. And sometimes it's looking you right in the face. His eyes burned with a sudden intensity. I could feel his goons stepping close behind me. I wasn't lying when I complimented you, but that doesn't change much. I'd hate to hear that you suffered some kind of accident. You understand? I think I get the drift. Good. So can I move forward with the assumption that you'll stop? Well, doing whatever the hell you've been doing? My options were limited. The easiest thing would have been to nod my head and disappear. But men like Michael? They have no respect for cowards. Sometimes, respect could be a powerful tool. Of course, there are times when the difference between standing your ground and stepping off a cliff are almost indistinguishable. If I misjudge a situation, there was a decent chance I'd end up floating in Lake Erie. Listen, Michael. I'm not trying to get in the way of your business, and I'm not working for the police. I'm just trying to find the truth. The truth can be dangerous. We both know that. People get hurt. People die for it. The truth is powerful, and information's always a valuable commodity. You just can't stick your nose into other people's business without ruffling feathers. I'm not trying to ruffle any fe- If the truth, as you so delicately phrase it, wasn't dangerous to someone, it'd already be common knowledge. Sometimes you have to let the dead stay covered in the dirt. Maybe someone needs the dust kicked up. Michael shifted in his chair. He wasn't athletic, but he had a steely-nerved intensity. This was a man who ordered the deaths of other people with a wave of his hand. If you want to pick a fight, you ought to make sure it's one you're going to win. 
That's not the case here. All I want is... Spencer Ghent is dead. It's in everyone's interest that this be the end of it. And unless you, or his wife, or anyone else you've involved in this trash want to join him, you'll back the fuck off. Why are you so scared of a dead man, Michael? I'm careful. The dead man doesn't bother me. But you're pushing yourself in my business. Making smoke where there isn't fire. And that's dangerous to do when you're in the middle of the woods. You want to find the man who killed Ghent? Well, I don't give a fuck about that. But when you start prying into my business, it starts to look like I was involved. That, Mr. Adams, is what I do not appreciate. Now we were getting somewhere. And I don't like that you tried to talk to a family member behind my back. I don't know what you're talking And I don't like your old friend at the precinct bugging people who I consider friends. That isn't... Chester may not be my blood, but he's still my brother. He's loyal, too. I know I can trust him. But it's still, how shall we say, rude to try to turn him against his family. You're that angry that I called Chester. That's why you sent the gorillas? At that, Michael laughed. <laughs> gorillas, that's very funny. His two goons weren't laughing. They stared at me with a dull, petulant rage. Of course, my gorillas are very good at what they do. Rennie proved that to you the other night. He pointed at the man to his left and I glanced over. I couldn't remember ever seeing him before. And a face like his, well, <laughs> let's just say I would have remembered. Did he? Rennie chuckled darkly. That was a clever trick at Dead Man's Curve. I hope the windshield didn't cost you too much to replace. I turned back towards Michael. You tried to have me killed because I gave Chester a call? Jesus, Michael, isn't that a little extreme, even for you? If I told him to kill you, you wouldn't be talking. He was supposed to shake you off the case. I'm sorry to see that his theatrics weren't sufficient. Michael, you may not believe this, but I'm actually trying to help you. Is that so? Hell, I might even have information for you. But I can't do jack shit if I'm dead. He waved his hand, as if he was offering me a chance to say my piece. I can't share much like this. Information like this? It has a way of getting loose. I nodded my shoulders at the two goons. Michael almost laughed. What? You think I'm going to ask them to leave? Information is power, right? There are things I'd like to share. Things that have almost gotten me killed. I'd assume that a man like you could appreciate the need for privacy. Michael leaned back in his chair, tapping his pen on one of the leather-wrapped armrests. I trust my men with my life. You might, but I don't trust them with mine. This is private, between you and me. Michael eyed me warily. After several moments, he nodded towards the door. The goons didn't argue, but they flashed me sour looks on their way out the door. Rennie, especially, seemed to suggest a staggering amount of violence if he were let off his leash. The moment they were gone, Michael leaned forward over his desk. All right, Ezekiel, it's your turn. Let's hope this information lives up to the hype. First, it's two pieces of information. Under no circumstances can these hit the streets. You talked about starting fires. Well, this would put the infernos out in California to shame if it ever made it out. Now I'm very interested. When's the last time you spoke to your pal Killian? What about him? Whatever Michael had expected me to say, that hadn't been it. A flash of surprise ran across his face, 
but quickly it vanished beneath his confident veneer. Listen, I know that your family had a hand in his, well, let's call it a charmed rise to power. Now, someone's trying to bring him down again, and they're using his family to do it. Michael leaned in, his pupils like twin barrels of a shotgun. I've been trying to find out if the Limacolis are involved, but it's hard to say. However, if this situation doesn't resolve soon, the killer cop case he's working is going to blow up in his face. And when his career goes down in flames, you can be certain that whoever takes his place won't be nearly so much in your debt. Hell, they might be as eager to go after you as Killian has been to battle the Limacolis on your behalf. Now that's interesting. How do you know about this? Because an interested party hired me to step in the middle of it all, to help stop it before it gets out of hand. And you're looking for help? I'm looking for breathing room. I need to be able to work without your hoodlums breathing down my neck. We'll consider it. Now, what's the other thing? You think Spence Ghent is old news. You're wrong. There's anger on the other side, not from the top, but from the rank and file. Honest to God, Michael, this thing's a powder keg. People have been killed for a lot less. It was mostly bullshit. The only person who really cared that Spencer was dead was Justine, walk down Mayfield Road and take a survey of Limacoli thugs. They just lost a colleague. Of course they're upset. They're not upset. They're eager for blood. This is how wars start, Michael, with one small act of violence. It's a dangerous thing, lying to a man like Michael Trevelone. But hell, he was already threatening to kill me. I might as well take advantage of my private audience. Michael, there's a growing disconnect between the street and the back room. When guys start going behind their boss's back, that's when things get out of control. That's how Cleveland became Bomb City, USA. I don't want to go back to those days. Do you? Not even guys like Shondor Burns were safe back then. No one was immune. Not once somebody pulls the wrong trigger. Hell, all it takes is a single bullet. You know that better than anyone. The last bit was a thinly veiled reference to Brady's murder, one that didn't go unnoticed. I saw the way Michael's eyes dipped down. The gears in his head were turning. He wasn't there yet, but if I gave him just the right push. You know who gave me these bruises? Quentin Gilletti. The other side's trying to bury this, but all they're doing is adding to the blast. I'm the only one who's trying to defuse the bomb. If the person who killed Spencer Ghent ends up finding justice, that would go a long way to cooling the waters, if you know what I'm saying. But who knows? Maybe you ordered the hit. In that case, I'd say closing ranks is a good idea. But otherwise, it's in your interest to help me find out who did this. The longer it simmers, the greater the chance that somebody does something stupid. And hell, you don't want me in your business. That's fine with me. I don't want to be mixed up in this shit anyway. But if you're not the one who had Ghent killed, then all I ask is that you get out of my goddamn way. Because otherwise, there's going to be more blood in the streets before this is over. That was it. My big play. I hope desperately that I haven't overplayed my hands. Men like Michael respect courage, but they also don't suffer fools. The line between those things is thinner than you realize. Until you've crossed it. Michael glared for a long time. Then, using his fancy pen, he scribbled a note onto a piece of paper. He slid the message across his desk. A friend of the family contacted us. He's not one of us, but we've done a lot of business together over the years, especially when the Russians were running that part of town. 
He was worried when one of the Lima Coley men started sniffing around the neighborhood, wanted us to step in. Did you? The Russians might have gone quiet for the last couple of years, but it's only a matter of time before they come back. I don't want to start a fight over territory I can't keep. It's not worth losing good people over. Us versus the goddamn Russians. It's like the Cold War all over again. Anyway, you might ask him if he knows anything. If he's still angry after we turned him down, he might have sought out a third party. Michael had written a single name on the paper. Igor Petrovsky. I committed it to memory before tearing it up and throwing it in the garbage. I'll be sure to keep your name out of it. You'd better. And like I said, he's a friend of the family. You know what that means. I nodded. Good. Now it's time for you to go. With this out of the way, I don't expect to find you meddling in family business again. Do you understand? Because that would be very bad for you. I understand. I sincerely hope so. You better put this fire out fast, Mr. Adams. I'm trying. Do better. If this starts to heat up, I'll make sure you're the first one to burn. Bullets and Rust is written, recorded, and edited by Abraham Dunn. The theme music is written and performed by Avril McAnally. The cast for this episode was... Charles as Aristotle Rigoletti. Rachel Cotton as Detective Katie Strell. Johnny Davis as Lieutenant Stanley Powers. John Hawkins as Michael Trovalone. Allison Lightbody as Mercy Malone. Alexandria Marshall as Riley Parker. Libby Monroe as Daisy. Bridget Papagenitis as Samantha Larkin. Anne Payne as Lucy Talaverger. David Payne as Detective Blake West. It should go without saying, but this series is entirely fictional, as are its characters. Any claims of resemblance to actual people says more about the person making them than it does about this show. This has been a Needle Drop production. Next time on Bullets and Rust. It's time I finally get a bite at the apple with Lucy Talaverger. However, she may prove to be more of a formidable adversary than I anticipated. Also, I'm still no closer to finding Liam O'Malley, and the clock is ticking. With both of the kids' parents still on my list of suspects, I need to check up on Killian's alibi. All that, and more, on the next episode of Bullets and Rust. <laughs>